This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. Um... All right, let's let's just get into the topic of the pod. The thing, really, the game we've been waiting for. At least I know I've been waiting for a ton for this game. Uh, we're finally going to see Joel versus Ben this Wednesday night. Uh, the Sixers will have. We assume on. anyway, because you know Joel well, did right. sit out the other yeah. night. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to be at practice in a little while, and we'll see. I like. I can't imagine. I it, I find it hard to believe that he wouldn't play in this game. We just do need to have the qualifier of like. There is like some yes. shred of like he might not play. Who knows? And especially with these two players too, with Ben, yeah. right? But I will be disappointed if Joel look if he's hurt and he can't play. It is what it is. I will be disappointed if he doesn't play for what you know, like a soft reason. It'll feel a little bit like he's ducking Ben, which is insane because he has no reason to duck Ben. He's way better than him. Obviously, that goes without saying. But I just would be disappointed. But. What I want to talk about with this, I really want to pick your brain. Um, I think it's a good chance to kind of re- not recap what happened, but maybe go through it, like what you remember at the time of the Ben thing, looking back at the trade now, um, and just really if your opinion has changed on it at all. Because I do think my opinion of Ben has changed has changed since the trade. And I think some of the opinions I had when it happened, I probably w- was wrong. And I wish I kind of didn't have those opinions, but Curious as someone that lived it, that was with the team every day, that that saw it all. When when you think back to Ben, like what do you remember about the ending, him and Joel, just the, the whole thing? Is it, do I sound like an asshole if I say I remember being right? Or is that <laughs> well, like look, look, because I will say that whole that whole season leading into his spectacular meltdown in the playoffs, there was a and it's part of the reason I think that I end up being more negative on Thibault than I actually am in reality, mm-hmm. like a, more negative on him, like online, I should say. Right. Um, is that the same contingent that is now like the Matisse needs to play 25 or 30 minutes every night was the same. Like there's no problem with Ben. You're an idiot for questioning his impact and you know yeah. things like that. And you could see it all along. Like, it's not like Ben, Failing in the playoffs was some novel concept before that final year that he actually played in Philadelphia. And it's not like his issues as a player were unmiss or were like missable. Like this is something that 
not only plagues him in the playoffs, but has become a much bigger problem for the entire league. Like there are other guys. So Andre Roberson, great example, amazing defender at his peak was like part of those OKC teams and like a really important player on those teams. Mm -hmm. Got to a point where teams just didn't guard him and they left him alone. And so then the Thunder are trying to attack a paint that has an extra guy there on every single possession. And it gets to the point where the guy basically can't play and can't make an impact. Now, it didn't quite get there with Ben because he is a more, we'll say like a dynamic transition, fast break player. He's a better playmaker than a guy like yeah. Rose and all that. Like, I understand why Ben continues to play in those situations where some other guys would not. But you cannot avoid the fact that he's not going to shoot. And not only that, is not even thinking about shooting. And teams know that. And so I just, I at the end of the whole saga, I just was like, I don't know what you guys have been expecting. The guy hasn't changed. So you can say he brings X, Y, Z to the table, but push comes to shove. You need this guy in an important game. He's not there. Like I could sit here and look at this Brooklyn Nets team right now. There's a very obvious argument to make that Nick Claxton is actually their third best player. And so if you get the crunch time in the playoffs, Nick Claxton might be, and actually probably is, a more important defender than Ben Simmons. And a those better offensive guys, player. Those two guys both cannot and will not shoot. And there's a very clear case to make that, like, on a in the last five minutes of a playoff game, that Ben should sit so that they can play Claxton, and then you figure out the lineup mm-hmm. elsewhere. And, like, that's not – nobody here or in Brooklyn when he got there would have accepted that reality. Now you watch how it plays out every night, like – And I will say this too. I think Ben has gotten to a point that is far beyond. Like, I would say I was one of the, as an objective media member and not someone who just like, this guy sucks or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I was one of the biggest skeptics of Ben in like the final year, year and a half of him being here. But even as someone who held that stance, I can't say that I ever envisioned him being like this impotent of an offensive player. Like, he's averaging. Seven and a half points yeah. a game. It's crazy. And so he's shooting 43% from the line on one and a half free throws a game. It's like, like he's not getting there at all. It's like right. he's, and I don't watch every game of there. So I can't say that it's like, a, oh, he's afraid to go there or whatever. But like clearly all this has added up to be, to make him a player where he's just not an impactful attacker anymore. So all his value has to come on fast breaks, on defense, as a playmaker. And, like, you can carve out a a good career that way. You're not Mm -hmm. carving out a career that you're worth a max contract for. So, you know, even as somebody who thought at the time that the Sixers were getting, like, pretty clearly the best player in the trade and who thought, you know, at points during that process that they were going to probably have to settle for more of a, like, a younger ascending player, maybe somebody in, like, the Tyrese Halliburton type tier. I thought it was a a huge get to actually get Harden and not give up like an absolute ton to get him. But I just can't believe how it's gone since. Like it was a a win trade I thought at the time for Philly. And now it looks like just an absolutely overwhelming win for them, given how Harden looks this year compared to Ben. So I have some questions off that, but first a thought I have about the Ben thing is when the whole Ben thing went down, I, I do think from from afar, right? Someone that wasn't covering it, 
it was very obvious that his lack of shooting was his his own doing, number one. But I think what happened with Ben was he the initial mistake he made was he refused to change his game. He refused to add the shooting to his game. And then it all snowballed rather quickly in the worst possible way. But yeah. I also think I sit here now and looking how it happened with Ben. And I do feel bad for Ben. I know he's had back problems and that's part of it. But clearly some something happened to him, whether it's just the magnitude of what happened against the Hawks and the entire sports world kind of clowning him, whether it's, you know, the trade thing going so poorly, whether it's just realizing he couldn't shoot, whatever. It's clear that mentally he's a shell of what he used to be, right? Like if you look at what he is in, in Brooklyn, I know he's not shooting the ball, but it's clear he's avoiding it because he's afraid to do it. And I just feel bad for him in, in that regard. Now it's his own doing because he did not add that to his game. And he had years to do it where he could have done it. And it's also wild when you look back at summer league clips of him, his rookie year, and he's shooting the ball pretty comfortably, right? From like the, you know, not. So three. I will say people love to bring this up. He, he didn't was, shoot man. that well, though. Like that's he was the, shooting. Like that, he, he was yes, a willing he did shoot. Yeah. He yeah. did shoot. But the idea that he was like, oh man, he's going to come in and make mid-range shots all the time. Like that's where. I think there is a, a middle ground there. Like, I agree with you. There was a different style of play. Right. Whether right. it was an effective style of play is kind of another conversation. I, I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is I was in the camp of Ben's not good enough. He's not shooting. He's doing it to himself. You'll never win with him in the playoffs. Like, I was in that camp. But I also think it's turned into a little, and it's just sports, so I don't want to say mean-spirited in that way from fans. But the guy clearly clearly is going through something that is, I don't know if it's off the court, on the court, whatever, you know, the mental part of this to me seems like it's reached a point with Ben where it's almost hard to watch. This isn't, he, this isn't him as a player. He's, he's a better player or was a better player than this. So unless you think it was not you personally, but unless you think it's the back and I don't think it's that he's clearly like gone. Like I, I think he's, what whatever's happened to him was almost like a traumatic event in terms of whether it's the Hawks thing, whether it's just how it played out. So I actually find him a bit of a tragic figure. Like I don't find joy in dunking on Ben anymore. I don't find joy in like booing him every time he's at the Sixers. And I, I think it's fine if fans boo, like I would have booed Carson Wentz, right? Like I, I think that's part of the game, but I do think sometimes the Ben stuff from a fan's perspective feels very, very mean spirited towards someone that is clearly dealing with something and in reality didn't do anything that bad to the fan base. Like he requested a trade. Lots of stars do that. His played out uniquely, but lots of stars do that. And look, he played bad against Hawks. There's no denying it. He shelled up, but he was also somewhat the version of the player. He always was like, it wasn't like he was taking four threes yeah. a game. And then in the playoffs, he just took none. Right. And like, so there's just a part of me that while Ben was here, I was, you know, this guy has to be better. But now that he's gone, man, I just I just kind of feel bad for him. Well, I do think there's also been an evolution throughout this season because beginning of the year, I do think there was a ton of it was like any game he played was headline news, whether it was good or bad. Like and yeah. it was really bad to start the year. It was like, who the hell is this guy? He's like an impersonator. Well, in, the internet in a Ben Simmons bodysuit. Yeah, like every shot he takes, like the thing where he was at the uh, that like some event with the Nets and he shoots it and it's an air ball. Like it definitely reached the point to your point where every little move he made, every tweet, every Instagram post was like the entire basketball world was like hawked in on him 
ready yeah. to get retweets and likes for jokes. Like everyone was ready just to like completely clown this guy the most. Yeah. They could. And now I still think there's some of that. I just don't think it's to the point that every single night is like, what did Ben Simmons do? It was like, sure. it almost was like, he was like a, I don't know if this is like a PC term, but like a freak show at the circus where they have like all kinds of the weird, main attraction. Like everybody like wanted to, yeah. It was just like, and you, so that's, I agree with you. Like that's when it crossed the point of like, you know, I can sit here and we can have a discussion of like him being a foundational player and whether that works in 2023 and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But like, I'm not going into a game watching the Nets, like rooting against him or like saying, ha ha ha, like laughing at this guy for failing or like whatever. I think I, and I tend to agree with your assessment. Like, I think it's almost like a little kid who like did something wrong or got in trouble and they were like afraid to tell their parents or a Mm -hmm. teacher or whatever. And they just let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. And then it spirals into instead of making a small mistake, then it's something that you hid and you deceived yeah. and you lied and that guilt builds up. And that's like, to me, that's what happened with Ben. It's like when he wasn't shooting earlier in his career, I do think there was the element of he just thought he was playing his way and like the right way. And he knew he was such a high leverage playmaker and all that kind of stuff. And he can do all these other things. Now it feels like he's doing this stuff because he simply can't score or like yeah, can't, can't attack the else. basket right. and can't make free throws. And even if he can't, like, I'm not saying he literally can't dunk the ball or whatever, but in his mind, clearly he doesn't believe that because like, if you were to sit down and watch a Nets game, most of the time when he brings the ball up, it's the the worst version of a Sixers Ben possession where he crosses half court, he turns his body parallel to the rim, and he's doing a dribble handoff with somebody. And right. like that, there's very little threat of him like faking a handoff and then going to the rim and dunking. Like we used to see that like two or three times a game with the Sixers. Now he's only scoring like seven and a half points a game. Like that was six points on its own, just like him pretending to hand the ball off and exploiting a team overplaying that going to the rim. Like he's not even thinking to make moves like that. So I I think he very clearly is a much different player and a much worse player now than he was at any point in his Sixers career. But I do think like that Hawk series was a real just flashpoint moment for him. And I'd like, maybe he can restore himself and the back is, a bigger problem than maybe we realize and he gets some physical juice back and starts trending back in the other direction. But like, as it is right now, I just, I don't think he is capable of being a different player than he's showing them right now. Well, and that's too, and we don't have to get into like mental health discussion of it, but it was part of when Ben left, right? It was, you know, the whole thing, you know, seeing therapy with the Sixers and you can speak more to this because you were there, but you know, like the money and all that stuff. But I think at the time when Ben was going through what he went through with the Sixers, Hey, I don't blame him for asking for a trade. I would have wanted out too. The problem is just because of how bad he was against the Hawks and how much money he made and all those dynamics, he was just a hard, hard player to trade, but there was a lot of, Oh, he's just faking this mental health. So he doesn't have to play. 
I think now that it's played out, it's pretty clear. I mean, we talked about how Tyrese and uh, Joel and Harden now like, seem so clear-headed on the court because they have their roles figured out. When I watch Ben, to me, he looks like just someone that's that's lost. Like, I think he is so in his own head about everything. Like, every move he makes, how people are going to think about it, should he shoot, those type of things. So I can't speak to, you know, what level of mental – like, that's a personal thing. Every Each situation is so unique. But it is pretty clear in retrospect, this dude like could not be here for whatever reason. I, I and I just don't think it would have worked out at all. But I think like the dunking on him about the mental health stuff at the time in retrospect is a bad look for, you know, some pe- like fans or whatever that did it because he was clearly going through something. Well, so here's what I would say. I 100% agree with you in the sense that I there is a mental component to this. Right. What is not necessarily clear to me is like how seriously that's being taken by Ben and or the people around him. And like, there's no way of knowing, right? Like, I can't say like, you know, if Ben just goes to the uh, psychologist or whatever, like two days a week, he's just suddenly he's cured. Like he's going to be the same guy he was again. But, you know, he spent a lot of the off season leading into this year saying he's in like this great headspace and all this. And, you know, he's talked to people and there were disputes with the organization in Philly about letting them into the process, like just showing documentation that he was seeing people that that was not provided. And that was part of the the back and forth between those two and the players association and his agent and so on and so forth. And so like, I, it's hard for me to give it like any sort of take on it. Right. Because yeah. like he could be putting in, you know, hundreds of hours of work and it might just like, it might not be possible for him to like quote unquote fix the problem The I guess the disconnect is he presented himself at least as somebody who was not only working on that problem and ostensibly fixed the problem. Like he was saying, I'm coming back this year And I'm going to be me and I'm going to be the best version of me and whatever. And not only was he not that, he is basically just the guy he was at his lowest moment in the Hawks series. Like he is, as we, as I said earlier, he is steps below average, his average level of play in Philadelphia. Like even somebody who was a, a Ben hater would say he is much worse now than he was for like a absolutely 50th percentile Ben game with mm-hmm. the Sixers. So it's just hard to square that circle. Like maybe it's just not possible through, you know, therapy or whatever else he might do off the court to find that level again. Like maybe there is a level of trauma that he can't work through. Like I can't speak to any of that. All I can say is that I don't see any changes. And so I don't I don't know what's being done to change yeah. the problem. I don't know if he can change the problem, but there is very clearly something that has to if he wants to be the the player in person that he was, you know, 2 years ago, 3 years ago, however far back you want to go, clearly there's some kind of breakthrough is going to have to be made and I don't I don't know how that happens. Like I don't there's no uh, I'm not a I'm not licensed as a a mental health uh, practitioner. I'm just, I'm a guy who watches what plays out on the floor and I can see like this guy is not who he used to be. And there's a physical component for sure. Like I I don't think he's as explosive or as quick as maybe he used to be. I think you see that with him 
committing more fouls than he used to, but no, you'd be in complete denial to say like, there is not a mental side of this. And yeah, to circle back to something else you said, like that is something that you, you feel bad for the guy for like, he's a human being. Like, I don't, I don't want someone who, regardless of how much money they're making and you know, the lifestyle they have, like, I don't want someone to be at their job and like actively going through trauma to like entertain people. Like that's a horrible situation to be in. And also I think sometimes, and maybe it's, because, and I'll be interested in your perspective on this, like we interact with these people as humans more. I always just think it's so easy for people to say how they would handle something. But I don't think me, you, probably anybody listening to this pod can process what it was like to be Ben while this was going on. Like yeah. for so many people to be so singularly focused on you. Now, again, he brought this on himself with the shooting thing. He did. But I think going through that, it must have been in absolutely insane this is why i don't you know i know i've ripped joel a little bit for some of the funny tweets and whatnot but when athletes lash back on people criticizing them i'm like it's never a good look because it's it's a no winning situation but dude i think i don't know how i would handle it if the sbs made a a joke about me you know with everything going on with you know building the bricks for ben simmons or whatever that joke was so um yeah i just think what he went through i would certainly describe it as a traumatic event the the another question i had for you as someone that was there for it because this is joel versus ben and we've been waiting for it there was a lot of while they were here discussion about are they friends and people that said that they weren't like all of sixers twitter would be like you know imagine thinking they don't get along when they like shook hands on the court or whatever um what you know where do you think they're at now what was that like were they ever close you know we've talked about how joel's a bit of a quiet guy off the court anyway but just what do you remember about their specific relationship more so off the court because obviously on the court we know it was never a a great pairing i mean they're just kind of they both lived in their own universes right like I, i to one more point on what you were just talking about like i think part of the other disconnect with Ben is at least as a public figure, he's not really very endearing. Like he, he has never been Mr. Like reach out and hug somebody. Like he's not offering warmth. Like he's a very JJ Reddick used to say it all the time. They called him uh, the man behind the glass. Like he never lets you into his emotional state or anything Mm -hmm. like that. And like, I think if hindsight's 2020, if Ben could have been more vulnerable with people, and that doesn't mean he has to be vulnerable to the public, but if he's more vulnerable to teammates and people in the organization, whatever, like I think that probably makes a big difference in terms of how everything plays out. I think it's because he's sort of this, I don't mean this in a bad way. Like he's more of a cold, like, you know, I have my people and I stick with my people sort of guy. Like in the end, that ultimately is part of why there's not a lot of love lost at the situation. Well, really quick, that's also probably the result of growing up where you're on the cover of Slam when you're 16. You know, right. just, just being like such a huge star in that in almost your whole life. I mean, I think it's natural to put that kind of guard up. And what's interesting is Joel really wasn't that. I mean, you know, at Kansas, he was a big deal because he was a great prospect. And I'm sure on the campus, he was a big deal. But he was not Ben Simmons. Like Ben was viewed as the next LeBron. And even when Joel was drafted, you know, I don't think he had the kind of star power that Ben did. So they kind of came from very different perspectives of growing up in, in a lot of ways, but also just being in the spotlight of something. Right. So it's like, it's the wonder kid versus the guy who picked up basketball as a teenager yeah. and was just like, 
plucked out of obscurity and now all of a sudden he's in the NBA. Like Joel's story is crazy. Ben has more of the child prodigy type storyline. And I, I do think you see that in a few ways. Uh, as far as their like off court stuff, I just, I don't think there was much there. I think Ben had his like inner circle. I, I don't, again, I don't, I don't mean that pejoratively. Like he's got his close friends and his family yeah. and he kept that close circle that they mostly stuck together and went out together, whether that was during the season or in the off season, whatever they're hanging out in LA. Joel is you know, by and large, a very private guy. He doesn't go out a ton. He likes to sit at home, play video games. And that has like evolved even further now that he's got a, a son. He likes to yeah. spend lots of time with his young and growing family. And so I, I do think there was a, a difference between the two of them just in terms of like how they live their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there was like an active dislike. I think there was definitely frustration I know on Joel's end, but I would imagine on Ben's end too, of like, you know, to that point we were discussing of whether they should build around this guy or that guy. Like Joel made passive aggressive comments over the years. Like I space the floor. I do this. I do that for the betterment of the team that it's like, uh, and I think you should leave where the guy's wearing the hot dog suit. And he says, we're all trying to find the guy who did this. Like <laughs> he's obviously directing those comments at Ben without yeah. saying Ben's name. And then like, if you're Ben and you're number one overall pick max deal, all this stuff, I am, I guarantee you there's a part of his brain. That's like, well, why am I playing with like, I'm an up-tempo fast break playmaking guy. Why am I playing with a slow, post up center like why is the it doesn't make sense to have this guy on my team there were also like the i don't know how true this ever was but the rumors about ben would have preferred to go to the lakers over the sixers and like some of that and so that adds to it too um so yeah i mean i don't think they were ever perfect partners i i think if they had won i think they probably would have put all that stuff to the side like i i they really did win a lot of games won. they did yeah. win a lot of games yeah I think people overcomplicate it a lot of times. Like there are a lot of guys around the league who are not best friends as a group that yeah, they win a ton of games and it doesn't really matter. Like that's just, if you find people you succeed with in most cases, unless you're Kyrie Irving and <laughs> want to make a point about wanting to win without LeBron and fail at making yeah. that point. Otherwise, most guys are happy to, you know, if I can win a title or if I can be really successful with these guys, let's run it back and change other stuff and we'll figure it out. Like I I do think that that is the overwhelming idea that most guys live by. Um, But yeah, like I, it was not as bad as people would exaggerate. It was, and not as good as people on Twitter would be like, Oh, look at that. They shook hands and smiled on the court. Like it's, it just kind of, they were very neutral ish coworkers. Most of the time. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Yeah, no, I, I mean, look, and I do think Joel at the end, and I under I do understand Joel's frustration with Ben. I mean, again, just, just shoot the ball, man. Like, it's a pretty simple thing. So I do understand Joel at the end. The passive-aggressive shots, you can debate whether you should, shouldn't do it. I understand. I don't think his frustration was coming from the wrong place. I think maybe just his handling it at times wasn't great. But, look, it's played out how it's played out, and it sets up for, you know, a huge game, not just because it's Joel versus versus Ben, but big game in the standings. I think the Nets are only yeah. a half game back. Uh, the Sixers, you know, again, the schedule they have coming up, I agree with you, that's part of it. I think they could – catch the Celtics the way they're playing it'll be tough oh right? no way they're only four no games back. You, you you talk about it like it's like 15 games and yes their schedule is tough for sure but teams are also looking at them and going we have I mean the Sixers are a top whatever team in the NBA right now three five I mean it's not like they're gonna be playing lots of teams that oh I hard. agree with that like they're yeah. very very good and deserve the respect I'm just but I'm I think the Sixers literally have the toughest schedule from here until the end of the year number one yeah strength of schedule until the end of the year yeah, but they also just beat the third team in the West without their two best players. Oh, actually, number two. There you they're, go. So there's some. They're some number options. two behind the New York Knicks. Um, wow, that's. But here, so here's the thing: they have to play. Now you could cut this either way. Before the end of the year, they have to play the Celtics three times. They play the Nuggets, who are the current number one seed in the West, twice. Right. They this play weekend, the Bucks. Yep. They play the Bucks twice. They play the Nets three times, and they play the Cavs twice. So in that sense, they have as good a chance as anybody to decide how the standings end up, mm -hmm. right? Because if we assume they win, you know, a lot of the games against lesser competition, ultimately it's going to be decided by how do you, how do you split these games amongst the top five teams in the East? The problem is the Celtics with that four game lead, even if you win a couple of those, Boston on an average night is just better than them and has been better than them. And so it's asking a lot for them to, uh, to make up that gap. And I think Boston, Boston is like middle of the pack in terms of actually their remaining opponents. I'm looking at it right now are below 500 the rest of the year. Not good. So that's just like, a, it's a huge, huge ask. If, unless somebody like if Tatum got hurt or something, sure. But I, I don't think, I think two is realistically as high as they're going to go. Yeah, and you could be right. I just, you know, and you know more about this, but I just look at four games, and that does not feel insurmountable. But, you know, to your point, it, it is tough. So last thing before we wrap this up, uh, and I actually have a, a TV show take for you, but I guess just your last, Ooh. your kind of preview of the game. I mean, we've talked about it at length, but obviously besides Joel and Ben, just, 
kind of what are you looking for? And do you think Joel will be extra kind of, you know, worked up for this game? Just what are your thoughts on the game? Yeah, I don't think this is Juan Joel showing up to and acting like he's he's too cool or too big no. for. Uh, I hope he doesn't I, overdo it, man. You know, like there is definitely a, a level of like, all right, I hope he has the proper uh yeah. yeah. Because yeah, I mean Joel is a gigantic human being. So if he's too revved up and he like throws Nick Claxton into the stanchion, very right. very well, easy also, way to pick up an offensive foul and then that spirals. We talk so much about you know Ben being in his head. And it's different. I do think Joel sometimes the emotion can be a positive or a negative for Joel. Like if the game starts out poorly, I can picture Joel getting very frustrated with that. I do think he's gotten better at playing through that kind of stuff and rallying after tough starts. I So circling back to Nick Claxton, it is interesting in the sense that like he's been this huge defensive weapon for them, like has really changed their fortunes on defense in a lot of ways. They went from being this horrible defense to a better one over the last couple of months, but he has given up just a, a comical amount of weight to Joel. And yeah. so it almost makes it that like, they don't have a chance in hell to guard him. I think this is a game. The Sixers should win comfortably. Now, if Kyrie Irving just has a crazy game, which is, you know, very possible. And he's been good. That, he's been very good last few games. Um, that could swing things, but this is a game that without Durant, I think the Sixers are going to be clearly favored in as long as they are uh, fully healthy and, you know, Joel and James both play. We'll see if uh, there are any shenanigans with that, but yeah, like yeah. I, the atmosphere, I, it was disappointing that the first time Ben came back and played, Joel did not play because that was like, you know, the Sixers won that game, great performance, all that, that took all the luster out of that game for, for sure. Game. So I'm really excited to see, you know, what that looks like. I I don't think after our long Ben conversation, it's not like we're going to be like, well, can't wait to see what Ben has for Joel because <laughs> Ben has nothing for anybody right now. Yeah. Um, but it'll just be interesting. Yeah. we didn't even talk about the Harden part of it. I mean, there was that no. from Kyrie, you know, so, so there's that aspect of it too, but look, the nice thing is in a, in a Sixers season that early on can sometimes, especially with everything going on with the Eagles, like Wednesday night, the center of Philly will be again on the Sixers. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 
Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.